Hello. 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 And welcome to Pioneer's Post podcast. Social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world. I'm Tim West from Pioneer's Post, and today I'm with Eddie Finch of Buzzacott Accountants, who spent a good 20 or 30 years supporting social entrepreneurs to be fit, impactful organisations. And I'm also here with Louisa Zian, a social entrepreneur who co-founded Toast Ale, a social enterprise based in London that brews beer from fresh surplus bread. Okay, so we're going to talk about four M's, money, markets, management, and me. And I don't mean me, I mean me as a social entrepreneur. So any social entrepreneur and how they have to think and look after, think about and look after themselves. Um, so let's start with money. Um, and I want to hear about both the idea of how you look after your money and also where you get your money from. So we're talking about, I guess, accounting, Eddie, and also investment and investing for growth. Um, and I'll start with you, Eddie, because um, you're the money man in this, in this conversation. And I'm interested to hear about um, uh, your thoughts on what's most important for social enterprises to think of when they're thinking along the kind of money train of thought. Well, I think there are, there are, there are two or three key areas. Uh, what, what one is uh, cash is king. I mean, that, that for any business is the, the, the most important principle. And that might be through your trading. So, so are your customers able to pay? Are you collecting the money that you need? But also, uh, are you able to pay, most importantly, your workforce, but also your suppliers, etc. Mm -hmm. so, so that making sure that the cash is moving through the business in a way that keeps it ticking over is absolutely important. And a lot of that is down to really having good financial management information and being able to forecast and plan properly. Um, and, and where does the money come from is, is quite closely linked to that, really, because um, we, we've mentioned some of the programmes that came in because of the pandemic. So some of the ability to defer um, VAT or other tax payments, for example, some of the loans that you were able to get. And whilst they're really useful in, in helping with those short-term pinches, they also create a big obligation further down the line. So, so understanding when those big blobs of money are going to have to leave the business. So every month there's your payroll every, and, and the PAYE, every quarter or so there's the big VAT payments. So understanding how cash moves through the business is really massively you know, fundamental to running any business whatsoever. In the longer term, I think uh, I mentioned reserves and investment earlier on. It's, it's having enough uh, spare, or not spare, surplus money in the business for a rainy day so that if things don't go to plan, have, having looked at what could go wrong, you can cope with the worst things that might foreseeably go wrong. So whether that's having facilities available, knowing that some of your suppliers are happy to let you lean on them for a little while, for example, those kind of things, or having reserves in the bank, it's, it's knowing that if you need extra resources for a period of time, you can get them. And one of the best ways to get them in the long term is to get the right investors into the business. So people who are prepared to take long-term equity type view on your business and, and leave the money in for the foreseeable future so that it's always there as, as a cushion uh, for the organisation. So, so there's lots and lots of different aspects of money that I could hang on about for, for days. But I think those are the, the key fundamentals mm -hmm. is being properly capitalised or having access to the right kind of finance to, 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 to support your business, but also managing your cash flow effectively and efficiently. So how do the mechanics of what Eddie's described um, play out at, at Toast? I mean, from the very beginning, 
did you have very sort of a t did you run a tight ship in terms of uh, where your finances were and and what's your approach to making sure that you have cash in the bank you can meet all the payments you need and and deal with all those issues we'll talk about investment as well but let's talk about the kind of the the accounting bit first of all mm. Um, yeah, so I think we, as a social enterprise, have always felt a responsibility with the money that we hold. Um, and so we've always been very careful not to overspend and to look at the return on investment of any spend that we make, for example, on marketing, looking at um, uh, what the return is going to be for every pound spent. Um, we, all, we have trading income through the sale of our beer and we're able to forecast now fairly reliably um, for, the, for the year um, when those um, sales are going to be made and when that revenue is coming into the business. Um, we have some delay, some lag with the cost because beer takes approximately a month to produce, to pack um, and then we have another up to a month for the for our customers to pay us. So there's a there's a two month lag from the, the cost to the income. Um, so it's been very important to manage the cash flows and to, and to project forward and understand where our um, tight times are going to be and therefore how we are, are going to um, ensure that we can meet all of those financial um, commitments to, to payroll, etc. Um, and we through the pandemic, we were able to take advantage of some loans, um, but also some grants that we had from the local authority and um, from a couple of other organisations that were supporting businesses, particularly with a social mission, um, to continue um, to operate positively. Um, but the yeah, for us, it's been about running the business as efficiently as possible um, and knowing what is coming further down the line that that forward forecasting has been absolutely key so i guess cash is king even in a social business yeah. because if you don't if you don't have your cash and if you don't make a profit you can't deliver your mission absolutely so now let's talk about investment and the investment side of things um, you want to grow mm -hmm. you have grown i think quite significantly um, over the last just a few years. Um, I think you've taken some investment um, relatively recently and you're talking about another investment round now. So what does that look like? What's, what, what are you looking for? What's it going to enable you to do? Yes, so for us to significantly scale our impact, we've had to have um, bigger inputs financially into the business um, to allow us to invest in the people, the product development, um, etc. So in 2018, we raised equity. We devised a principle called equity for good, which essentially meant that our investors signed a pledge that they would reinvest the net capital gains into another social enterprise or business with an environmental mission. The idea being that the, the investment that they put into Toast helps us to, in, to grow our social impact and then any profits as a result of doing that can then help to grow um, an economy that is also positive from a social perspective. Um, we were really fortunate to have um, really committed investors that came on board during that round. For example, National Geographic is one of our investors. They will, when they sell their shares, they will reinvest the profits into their foundation to further 
the social environmental work that, that they do. Um, and a number of other investors who also have been looking at how they can fund the <clears throat> transition to a, a, a you know the, the social economy, um, but wanting to see returns uh, with an intention to to continue that work to grow. So, um, in two thousand and eighteen, we raised one point four million. We're planning now to do another raise early next year. Um, 2022 to enable us to scale significantly. We're looking at how <clears throat> we can change the business to become more than a beer producer. Okay, that's intriguing. Okay, we'll we'll explore that in a minute. Um, it sounds like the types of investors that you need to go for, though, as a social enterprise, are those who really chime with and understand you and your mission and are, are very much on the same wavelength as what you want to achieve socially and environmentally. Um, Eddie, is that, is that a crucial thing for a social enterprise when it's looking for investment? I, I think it's, it's very important, but it's not necessarily crucial. I, th I think across social enterprise, there's a, a massive spectrum of organisations that, um, that, that, that are really quite similar to the other businesses they compete with and, and are investable on a, on a very similar principle and they can often get money cheaper if they go to, to a mainstream you know, bank for lending or, or you know, some other source like that. So it, it's, it's not essential. I think if you're looking for long-term commitment though, and especially if you're looking for the kind of organisation that will put any gain it makes from the investments back into the social economy, then yeah, it's absolutely fundamental that those people are, um, are, are minded to support what you do socially. But it's interesting that these the people you're dealing with, and you've talked about your partnerships with uh, with the organisations you work with as, as customers as well as your investors. Um, it sort of feeds into their social story too. So, so ESG is so important for big businesses at the moment that actually, if you can find people with deep pockets and a desire to be seen to be doing uh, good, then actually that's a win-win for everyone, isn't it? And 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 the mainstream markets, the big companies that that have got billions uh, flowing through them. Yeah, I mean, when you're a, a sort of several million pound business, actually, they've got really deep pockets that could be really useful to you. But if they're signed up to what you want to do socially, then it's an absolute perfect situation. Um, so I'd say it's not absolutely essential. You can borrow money on the same basis as everybody else if you want to just borrow money and, and finance that way. But for equity investment, it's probably much more important. OK, let's move on to the second M, which is about markets. Um, and this is really a, about... Uh, I guess, connecting to your customers, isn't it? And working out, well, who are they? How do we engage with them? How do we persuade them to, to buy what we want them to buy? Um, tell us about that. Well, primarily, we are selling beer and it needs to taste good. It needs to be competitively priced and it needs to be attractive from a brand perspective. So in that sense, we are competing <clears throat> on the core principles um, in the same way that any other business is. Um, I think increasingly people are trying to use the power of their wallet to, um, to have a positive impact and, to, and are much more conscious of um, their ability to help to change the system through their purchasing decisions. And so um, from an end consumer perspective, we ha I think we've seen from the very beginning um, support from people who 
love our beer, but also love the social mission and the fact that we are supporting charities. And I'm, I'm feeling that growing quite considerably. <clears throat> um, and as you say, with ESG, a lot of our trade customers also are increasingly supportive of the mission of our business. Um, I th we're not quite there yet in terms of having any favorable treatment. So um, we are still you know, pushed on our margins, for example, from our supermarket customers. Uh, but there's a much more collaborative way of working now to um, help for us to help them to meet some of their targets, particularly from an, an environmental perspective where the supermarkets um, just recently at COP have made commitments to, to cut their own emissions. They're now looking at the supply chain and their, their, their suppliers to help them to achieve that. And if we can be part of that story, then that helps us being a, build a stronger relationship with them and yeah, helps us ultimately to sell into those customers. It's an interesting time now, isn't it? Because it used to be that social enterprises and charities, you know, a long time ago, maybe used to sell products that weren't particularly good products, but they used to say, well, buy because we're good people doing good things. Yeah. Um, and obviously, but people will, will support as much as possible. But if something doesn't taste good, or, or look good, then actually they're not going to buy it. No. Um, and actually, so um, we when we were <clears throat> first looking at our branding, we were really cautious about putting our charitable giving on the pack mm. because we didn't want to give the perception that the product itself may have been inferior because it was a charitable product. Mm. So we very much led with the story of the beer and the taste of the product. Mm. And then the charitable giving and the mission is secondary in that hierarchy of messaging. It's more of a, a nice surprise for the customer or a win-win, but predominantly we, we were secondary in terms of messaging because exactly of that perception. But of course now, um, as you say, that the whole um, issue of environmental, social and mm -hmm. governance issues that a lot of corporates are dealing with, you know, big conferences like COP, happen, the sustainable development goals, um, a lot more organisations are now focused on doing good things. Uh, so actually, uh, a lot of organisations in the social venture world are trying now to, to I suppose they're being more, um, they're, they're less fearful about mm. how much to kind of blend in that social story, providing, you know, your product is good, by the way. Yeah. Um, but telling, it seems to me that telling the story and finding the right way to tell that story, but also perhaps being uh, able, to, able to change that story according to public perceptions, according to different trends. Mm -hmm. You know, that's quite an important thing to be able to do, isn't it? You've got to be alive to the stories that your potential customers want to engage with. Yeah, absolutely. And understanding your customer is really key. We will have people who are buying with different motivations. And so there will be different messages for different segments of our customer base. Uh, it's, it's very difficult, but as you say, increasingly, people are looking for um, the positive benefit that some of the products bring. And I have seen over the past year, two years, the environmental stance of a business increasingly becoming um, a major part of marketing campaigns. 
um, potentially greenwash. There's a huge risk there that needs to be managed. Um, but people certainly, well, businesses certainly seeing it as a key part of the, the story that they need to tell. And does that play out with, with your customers? Because business to business and business direct to consumer, very, quite different propositions. Because I, I imagine people who come to your website have tried the beer before, liked it, but also more likely to have bought into the story personally. But do, do you support your sort of distribution partners with, with their point of sale at all in, in, in terms of them telling the same the story you want them to and, yeah, and that they want to tell? Absolutely. Um, we spend time with our key customers to train their staff to not just how to taste the beer and maybe pair it with a particular type of food, but also the importance of the circular economy. Um, we talk, we, we have a, we've done all of our work on our carbon footprint um, and we've compensated for our emissions by investing in regenerative agriculture, which is actually quite a complex story to tell, um, but we, we try to help um, our customers, employees, to understand um, and feel also passionate about the work that we've done to make sure that our business is, is positive. Um, and increasingly, we're that, we're, that's fed back to us that bar staff are asked or um, you know, people in the restaurants are asked about a, the story of a, a product that's on their menu. Um, so it's been really important to make sure that we have a, a line of communication with them um, and are able to answer their questions and share the story. So it's, it's a true partnership, which yeah. is great, fantastic. Yeah. 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 Let's move on to management, which is our third M. Um, and part of this, I guess, is about the operational side of things. You know, how, how do you set things up in a way that will kind of run smoothly? Um, quite a lot of it, though, is also about your team and the culture that you develop in your team, how you look after your team. and. Um, uh, you know, there are there are all sorts of issues that have come to the fore, particularly over the last year or so, around well-being in, in, in your team and how you make sure that you have, I suppose, a happy team, because a happy team um, actually can deliver better for your business. Um, so perhaps your reflections are on that side of things um, and on anything else you think you know, are the most important things when you're talking about managing a, an effective business? Mm. So many of, if not all of our team have joined Toast because they also believe in our mission and they have their own internal purpose, their own desire to be doing work that is positive. So we already have this incredible team of people that are passionate about the mission and um, being able to demonstrate that we are achieving our mission and making progress is as important to the team as it is to our customers and our shareholders and you know other stakeholders um, and so we we do we make sure that everybody has involvement or um, in the delivery of our mission uh, we have uh, a key um, what we call a BHAG, a big, hurry, audacious goal um, to save a billion slices of bread and, uh, and then strategic objectives that sit underneath that that will enable us to get there. And then and what number are you on at the moment? Oh, three million. So we okay. have Ooh. still got quite a long way to go. <laughs> but as I mentioned, we're, we're looking at changing the business structure that will significantly um, help us to scale the yeah. impact. Um, 
And so the, the strategic objectives of the business then feed down into our own personal objectives. So everybody's day-to-day -day work is in some way connected to the ultimate delivery um, of our BHAG. Um, and I think that helps to ensure that we stay focused and that we're working on impactful um, things as well as making people feel rewarded in the work that they do. Um, but yes, there's still a, a huge amount of work to do to manage well-being. Um, as we talked earlier, the pandemic has brought that into, um, has really highlighted that for us. Um, and I think for a social business, that becomes even bigger because you um, you care so much about the mission of the business and the delivery of the business that it kind of puts this extra pressure on you to, to deliver and to work because it isn't just about making profits for shareholders. It's about delivering social good. So it's been really important to manage um, the, the time that and and energy and love and that people are putting into their work um, and making sure that everybody stays healthy. Because if you don't manage that well, actually the mission of the business can sometimes be in conflict with the well-being of your staff. Absolutely, yes. And, um, you know, everybody plays such a key role in the business mm. that um, we can't really afford to have anybody um, not, a, you know, if, if there was... Um, a, a, um, a mental health challenge, for example, in the team, and somebody was having to take time out, that would have a really significant impact. So you mentioned that um, employees perform better when they're happy, but um, if we get to a point of burnout, then they can't be involved at all in the business. So it's, mm. it's critical. The, the businesses are essentially a grouping of human beings, and we have to look after those human beings in order to, to run a successful business. Eddie, what else should we be looking at in a, a well-managed social business? What does the management um, sig signify to you, the management side? Well, I was, I was just listening uh, to that and, and, and thinking about the, the, the sort of transition that businesses go through from, from a sort of startup where it really is all sort of a, not quite a wing and a prayer, but it's, it's all based on sort of spirit and, and determination. But as you move through the different stages of growth, you have to start putting processes in place and you have to, and that, that's not just sort of IT systems and things like that. There's, there's people processes and, and the way that um, people are organized um, has to be much more structured and, and specific, which runs the risk of, of driving out the innovation and, and the passion if, if, you, if you're not careful. And I suppose really, I, mean, I, was, I was formulating a question while you were just explaining all of that, which, which, which is as a growing business uh, that's looking to grow even further. Have, have you experienced any of those growing pains yet? And as, as a founder specifically, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those tricky areas where you have to transition from being the sort of inspirational person with the flag at the front of the crowd to, 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 to giving other people um, the roles to keep things ticking over for you. And, and, and how have you found that experience so far? Mm. We, from a systems perspective, so I'm a, an accountant as well and have worked in measurement of impact. Um, and so um, quite early on, we put in some core processes. We then went through the journey of becoming a certified B Corp. Uh, which essentially gives you a framework for um, different areas of social and environmental responsibility that you should aim to meet. 
uh, it's almost like an MOT for, for your business. And going through that process really highlighted for me areas where we didn't have systems and processes in place. Um, and so we, I, we put a lot of work in fairly early on to, to make that happen. And because we were a business that was quite flexible with the team working from home um, as needed, we invested in cloud-based software um, rather than any proprietary software. So we, we've been able to scale um, and in, in some instances, perhaps confined by um, the software systems, um, but that it's been really helpful to to have you know those systems and operate and operation systems in place. Um, so, um, yeah, it's I think we've we've been well placed in in that sense, but there are always learnings and. Um, I, I can't think of an exact example right now of um, of any huge disaster that we've had um, that's based on the sort of systems and processes of the business. Um, but yeah, it's always about incremental improvement and realizing maybe something isn't in place that you quickly fix. And, and at the moment, do you still feel like you're at the size where where you, if if I asked you anything that was going on in the business, you you know straight yes. away, or yeah. so you're still yes. at that stage. So you haven't you haven't got to the stage where you have to rely on other people. To, no, to we're be your a, eyes and ears no, we're a team yet. of six people, so yeah. we're still very small, and yeah. Uh, yeah, have good visibility of everything, every decision that's made, and yeah. Always to come. <laughs> yes. So we're on to the fourth of our M's, which is me, and by me, I'm not talking about ego. Uh, I'm talking about leadership. Um, and that means both how to be a good leader, but also how to look after yourself as a leader. Uh, and Louise, uh, I'd like to ask you, as a founder and leader of your organisation, um, how do you look after yourself? How do you make sure that you're okay when you're running your business? Hmm. I dedicate time for myself that is blocked out. Um, so I have two young children um, that would probably dictate me having to give them time anyway. Um, but I, I make sure that I switch off. I think that's really important. I don't work weekends unless there is something um, huge that we're maybe a campaign that we're launching the following week. But I make sure that I switch off um, of a weekend. I try to do the same in evenings as well so that I spend time with my children, with my family. But I think also it's really important that you have time for you that isn't necessarily just about giving for, for your family. Um, so I try to make time to read. I enjoy reading and gardening is my other um, my other activity that brings me a lot of personal joy. Um, I find the connection with nature very helpful from a mental health perspective. Um, and uh, it's something that I have done all my life growing up from as a young child um, uh, to, the, to the joys of having my own garden um, and spending time in nature for me is a really great way of switching off from your phone, from social media, from the children and home and, and then also from work. And are there things work-wise that still keep you awake in the middle of the night? 
Yes, um, and that has been regularly changing over um, over the past couple of years, and actually more so as the lockdown has been eased. Um, we've had huge challenges from a supply chain perspective, uh, sourcing some of the ingredients into the business, the packaging. There was a huge shortage of cardboard because so many people were ordering uh, home deliveries followed by a shortage of aluminium cans. We've had the CO2 shortage um, as well. That, and those pressures to um, the concerns of how you are going to continue to produce your product um, are, are quite stressful. And then um, understanding how you're then going to sell your business, um, the pressures of ensuring that you maintain those relationships with your existing customers, but bring on new customers all the time can be also quite um, stressful. Um, and then the running and operations of the business. Um, we've talked a lot actually about mental health and um, I've felt a very genuine concern about myself, but also key members of my team um, and the impact that we as a business are having on their health as well as the impact that any problems that they have will have on the business. Um, so that has that has been really challenging from an operational perspective. And then the bigger strategic question of how we grow, how we raise capital to, to invest in that growth is maybe not yet keeping me up at night um, because the business is operating. But um, I would say that's more of um, an excitement um, and a desire for development for the business that um, maybe raises my energy levels, that makes it harder to, <laughs> harder to sleep, but not, mm. not in a worrying way, yeah, in more of an excited way. Great. Eddie, you've worked with lots of different leaders um, and you've probably seen them, I guess, uh, at their most triumphant and at their most stressed, um, you know, auditing their accounts and things. You kind of, uh, you've probably got to know some of them very well. Um, what, what's your reflection on how they do a good job as a leader, but also how they look after themselves. I, I think, as in all walks of life, um, th th there's a big variety of, 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 of characters that make good leaders in, in different ways. And I think certainly in, in, in terms of social business, I, I think one of the distinctive characteristics is that you've got another audience. So, so, so running a, a purely commercial business, you, you might have owners, you might have profit to deliver. But it, it's, it's mainly about money. Uh, to, to, to a very large extent, and you haven't got that group of people that you're looking to make life better for. So, so with, with, with any organisation that's got a bit of a mission, you, you've got that extra layer of stress that you've got people who you, you perceive that you need to help uh, to look after as, as well. Um, but I think it's, sorry, to come back to the direct question, though, the, the, the different characters, I, I, I think there's a big difference between the leaders in social enterprise who are pure startup type entrepreneurs. So, so the situation where you've had a business idea that, that thinks of something new and different and, and you bring that to market yourself. And that, that involves oodles and oodles and oodles of vision. And, and, and that's, that's a, a very personal kind of um, entry into having your own business and, and setting it up and starting it up. That, that's one motivation. And then you've got a lot of people though who've come into social enterprise from the more sort of public benefit type sectors who have, have adopted social enterprise as a more 
innovative and uh, productive way of achieving the things they did as, as maybe you know, director of a social service or something like that from a from public sector type background. However, when, when you really look at it, the, the, the characteristic that seems to me to be one of the most important is that interest in, in people. So, so not just, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about in, inside the business, caring about the people, motivating the people, getting them aligned in terms of their vision but also that ability to go out into your market and talk to your customers or whoever they might be, whether it's a local authority or um, the, the businesses that you sell your products through um, and, and, and deal with them as partners. So, so, so being able to create that sort of alignment of purpose amongst people. And I think because there are more purposes in a social business, that's even more important than it is in a, in a regular business because you have to get people to, to first and foremost as we've mentioned a few times I can remember drinking really claggy fair trade coffee you know if, if the product's just not good enough you might buy it once because you like the the marketing message but you're not going to buy it again because you didn't enjoy the experience so you have to have a great business in terms of what you're bringing out to the market but you also have to align people with your vision you have to you have to get people on board to see the world the way you want to see it change because you're, you're looking to make a difference and I think that is probably the, the thing that's distinctive about social enterprise leaders is, is that they have to bring people together around more than one simple idea. So they don't just go out and say, I can make you some cash. They, 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 there's, there's multiple layers to what they're trying to achieve. And have you managed to witness social enterprise leaders, you know, under stress and, mm. uh, and recovering from that? I mean, it's, it can get pretty difficult, can't it, in, in some social enterprises as with any business? It can, and, and, and I think for, for a lot of social enterprises, and, and I think we've talked a lot about the fact that you're still at that sort of startup stage where as, as, as a business with, with a relatively small focus number of people involved, uh, some of the issues that uh, the leaders I've worked with for a long time have faced um, are, are a little different. And, and a lot of that will particularly affect those businesses that are in the, the public benefit sectors, the social sectors, where you've got an external body of people who are a, a, a non-executive board, so usually trustees, something like that. And the people who actually manage and have the vision inside the business have to negotiate and deal with those external trustees. And, and that can cause a lot of pressures that, that the, the best leaders, again, it's, 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 it's people, it's, it's bringing people on board, it's, it's, it's working in partnership with, with the board. So, so the, the people who bounce back tend to be the people who you know, acknowledge the problems, and deal with them and sort them out. And, and, the, and the failures that we sadly see are the people who get overwhelmed by the, the detail and, and disappear um, under the weight of, of the problems. So I think that, that sort of resilience, that ability to, to, over, to look beyond the problems and, and reach out to other people uh, and work together to solve them is, is a pretty important part. And I guess calling on other people to support you as well. I don't know whether you, you mentioned trustees, you know, not all organisations have boards of trustees, but they, most organisations have a board of some kind. And obviously, board members, your chair, can be a real support to the leader in times of challenge. You know, they're there to champion and to support you, as well as to challenge and scrutinise you, aren't they? And those relationships are absolutely fundamental. I, th I think that... Um it, it's partly having someone who'll listen to you because I, th I think being at the, the, the apex of any organisation can be a very lonely place if, if you haven't got other people out there to share your thoughts and, and, and fears with. Um, but also, yeah, bringing that other, um, those other points of view in. So, yeah, so be, being open to inviting people in who, who might not 
just uh, go along with what you think right now might challenge you to look at things slightly differently, but being open to the different ideas they bring is yeah, absolutely fundamental. And that, that partnership between chief executives and chairs, particularly in those kind of organizations with bigger boards that are more formally run, is, is absolutely fundamental to success. How does it work with you, Louise? I mean, you've got a slightly different setup, haven't you? Yeah, um, I, I, f I feel really fortunate that I have co-founders, and so I'm not alone. Mm. Um, in the business um, and I think we balance the stresses in different ways and at different times um, so that and that is really it's really good for me to have somebody who um, can support me and I can be very honest about the challenges that I'm feeling um, that I maybe wouldn't talk to the wider business about but also that I can support them um, so it can be absolutely a partnership um, we do also have a, a board. Um, we've got an incredible um, group of people who've mostly advised us from the very beginning um, and have seen us through some challenges, ups and, and downs, um, and are very readily available to us to to help um, to, to reach, whether that's reaching out to new customers and connecting us with um, with people that can help us to, to reach new markets or maybe connecting us with investors. But as you say, also challenging us um, to make sure that we're delivering the best that we can. Um, I think that adds somewhat some pressure to, to us because um, we also have a, another group of people to keep happy. Um, uh, but I think it is really good to have that external, friendly voice within the business. Um, and then we have our investors as well who um, are, are interested and monitoring both the financial um, health of the business and particularly the impact side of the business. Okay, so in our conversation we talked about what it means for a social venture to be fit. We talked about money, we talked about management. We haven't talked actually in management so much about managing impact, but maybe that's a, I think that's gonna be a conversation for a, uh, another one of our, our films. Um, uh, we talked about marketing and we talked about me, how you look after yourself. Um, if you had to pick one thing, Louisa, that you would like to, share a piece of a tip or a piece of advice or, or just something general that you would like to share with other social entrepreneurs um, what do you think is the most important thing you would highlight great question i think it's about having real clarity about what you're trying to achieve with your business and to make sure that you are 100 percent focused on that mission uh, it's very tempting to say yes to lot <clears throat> yes to lots of opportunities um, that can not be financially rewarding for the business. Um, sometimes there's not even a, a return um, on those, um, but also puts huge amounts of pressure on the team to deliver um, and distracts you from what you're trying to ultimately achieve. So. For me, my big learning over the past couple of years has been to be ultra, ultra focused on where you're trying to get to, what the final outcome is you're looking to achieve, 
and make sure that all of the key decisions you're making as a business align to that. Give, your permission, give yourself permission to say no to more things that don't. So in other words, we're very lucky to have distracted you to come <laughs> along and do some filming with us because you didn't say no to us and we're very grateful for that. Eddie, what for you is the most important thing that you think we've learned from this conversation? I, I think it comes back to that idea of the BHAG and, and, and the overriding thing, single thing, the big, the big hairy, hairy audacious goal, goal, if I remember yeah, it rightly, yeah. and, and that single thing that you're looking to achieve. And I think, if anything, you've sort of slightly undersold the, 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 the magic of, of what being a, a social purpose business is all about, because you, you describe giving away the profits from the business and being like an ordinary business, but we give away the profits. But actually, everything you do, every thought process you have, it comes back to that mission kind of approach and, and, and the meal deal you wouldn't an ordinary brewery would not have come up with the idea of doing the meal deal and I think the fact that you're, you're, you're very processed that the, the, the principle of the business is to do something that lots of other people do but in a way that's much less ecologically damaging and, and that, that reuses things that might otherwise go to waste so that whole fact that the, the, the thing is underpinned by a purpose rather than the purpose so we, we mentioned ESG a few times and, and that's kind of dressing up for normal businesses in, in a lot of ways and, and, it, and it probably always will be the more social business can influence mainstream businesses to behave the same way they do though the better and, and I think yeah the fact that the mission's right at the center and, and drives almost every decision you make is, is absolutely what makes um, social businesses special and, and it's the magic, really. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you, Louisa, for your time, your thoughtfulness and for sharing everything with our Pioneers Post audience. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So thanks once again to our experts, Eddie Finch of Buttercott Accountants and Louisa Zian from Toast Ale. I'm Tim West from Pioneers Post and we'll see you again for our next conversation in the Fit for the Future series.